I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show hey the cocktail's good thank you yeah cool well <laughs> let's talk about that okay, in we'll a save second. that in a minute okay all right <laughs> well then i guess we should just we should start the- so many so many so many damn books Hey, welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Karen Thompson Walker in the damn library with us this evening. Karen, welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, you are the best-selling author of The Age of Miracles, as well as this new novel, The Dreamers, just out um, on Random House. Yes? Yes. And we are so excited that you could join us. Oh, yeah, thank thanks for coming. You. I'm excited, too. Should we uh, talk now about- Now can I tell you that I like the cocktail? Yeah, now you can tell me. It's a good cocktail. Thanks, it's man. It's delicious. Okay, I get to talk about this drink. I'm really proud of it. Um, it's called No Sleep Till, and um, it's inspired by the Dreamers, which is, of course, about a sleeping sickness that takes over a, a town. And um, so this is a cocktail that's supposed to keep you awake. So I started with chinar, which is a, a liqueur I really like that's partially derived from artichoke, which is a natural stimulant. And then... Um, really? To both of those parts of that sentence? Mm-hmm. Wow. And then, uh, or a Rondo Spritz, I guess, is the name of this Campari sort of substitute, which is nice. It's um, not quite as bitter as Campari usually is, but it still has that sort of bright sweetness. And then I made a coffee syrup at home because, of course, coffee. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's almost in equal parts. And you stir it and pour it over a um, tangerine peel. And uh, yeah, the tangerine oils play nicely with it as well. I'm really pleased with it. Glad you guys like it. Thank you. Starting the year off right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah on an on an on an up note, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on, yes. Do we want to talk about what we bought? Do you want to talk about a book that you got or bought recently? Um. Sure. Uh, I'm, the one that, I, that I'm thinking of at the moment, uh, I didn't buy, but my husband bought it for me, but on very solid, uh, you know, he, knew, he knows what I would like, mm-hmm. which is um, a book called The Red Parts by Maggie Nelson. Oh, cool. You read that? Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't I read have, it yet, but... Um, but I love her. 
I love her uh, memoir, The Argonauts. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I was upset. I'm obsessed with that book. Actually, love is not even a strong enough word. <laughs> I just think it's so great. I mean, the writing and the ideas. Um, and there's just such a nice mix of like brain and heart. Mm. Yeah. And, and poetry. I mean, I mean, like a, a feeling of poetry. Yeah. In that book. So anyway, uh, so my husband bought me The Red Parts, which is um, a memoir about, uh, I mean, I haven't read the whole thing yet, but it's about like she had a, her aunt was... Uh, murdered mm-hmm. and before she was born and so this is like about the trial um and the experience of going through like because the, the 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 person who i who i think it i think it's the killer but i haven't read the whole thing who they think <laughs> is the killer um is now i mean at the time of the book what is on trial so that's what it's about the experience of attending that and she wow. brings again so far the same kind of just intelligence and poetic sense and it's well, great well cool. i will always love her for bluettes as well oh i haven't yeah. read that that's that's my next one i think to oh read. that's gonna blow you away okay great <laughs> christopher blew me out of the water um <laughs> so i was given this incredible um for christmas this incredible cocktail book it's um roughly 160,000 pounds and um, it's called the Aviary Cocktail Book. Mm. The Aviary is a crazy um, cocktail bar in New York. I haven't been there yet. It's one of these places with like $35 cocktails. Uh-huh. And um, it's a it's a molecular gastronomy um, bar book. Oh, boy. Oh. So it's all the most insane things. That, and a lot of things that look really like stuff that um, would be served in that tom haverford bar in parks and rec do you uh-huh. know what i'm talking about yeah um it's just like this like some stuff where you're making like literally like whiskey vapor and uh all sorts of crazy things wow. and it's some of the most gorgeous photography it's it's all really close up and crazy and all like how to spherize things 35 five dollar cocktails will buy you a really nice book yeah, they yeah. Will. <laughs> it's a gorgeous book um i've enjoyed just flipping through it and now i'm like okay well now i need to make this old-fashioned that they have in here all i need is a two thousand dollar machine from the local like, <laughs> medical <laughs> immersion machines so, what about you drew um anything yeah i another january release uh the water cure by mm-hmm. sophie mcintosh uh-huh. um i've i've been really excited about it and I know very little about it. Um, something about it screams like a riff on the Tempest to mm. me. I know it's three mm. daughters. Their father has like kept them on an island away from society and told them that men are terrible. Mm. And then men show up. That's all that I know. And I'm like, well, I'm sure this is going to be explosive. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I'm curious about that one too. Yeah. Well, that sounds like we have good reading in front of us. Yeah. <laughs> Um, good reading that is immediately behind us. Yes. The Dreamers. Yes, your novel. And it's, um, maybe you can tell our listeners uh, what the book's about. Um, sure, yeah. It's So it's the story of a strange, contagious sickness that spreads through a small, a sleeping sickness that spreads through a small college town. Um, and, you know, it, the, the, the main symptom is just this sort of seemingly endless sleep. Um, and then along the way, it becomes clear that some unusual dreams are taking place in the minds of the sleepers. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a great little capsule. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that is this, this book has an incredible um, balance between like dream life and waking life. And I was curious um, how you struck that balance because I, 
like the minute you start talking about dreams, it's a tough order um, to keep it all like, not just like, and it was you, but not you. Um, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, it's funny. I didn't come into it with like a special interest in dreams. Um, I guess I, but I was very interested in sleep. Like I just think sleep is such a strange, such a strange um, and yet deeply, obviously familiar part of human experience. Like it's just so weird that we spend, um, you know, six or eight hours a day unconscious every day and <laughs> and like we don't really understand it just in our daily life like sort of what happens in our brains but also even scientists haven't figured out everything about sleep or why why we do it um so I so anyway I started with like I was always interested in that part of it and then that inevitably led to you know the more I wrote about sleep the it started to seem like well probably there should be some dreams and I became the more I learned about dreams I and the more thinking I did I became more and more interested um but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but just that like I was kind of aware of trying to make sure that the dreams I did. I was worried at first about writing about dreams because I didn't want them to be to be feel, you know, dreams can be kind of random and they can, there's a risk of, of randomness mm -hmm. or kind of like, I don't know, fluffiness. Mm -hmm. And so part of the challenge of writing the book, I think, was trying to figure out a way to include what's interesting about dreams, but hopefully leave out what's. You know, not as interesting about dreams. Or, or they're not random enough, right? Like, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, that uh -huh. was my problem with Inception. Was that was like, oh, it was like that like, was a very linear dream that he had. Yeah, yeah like too sure. orderly. That's yeah. interesting. <laughs> One thing I really loved about the novel and and novels like this is that there are multiple perspectives on mm -hmm. the story and i'm wondering how those how those were the people who came to tell the story for you yeah um yeah that's a good question you know i there was a bit of trial and error i mean i was trying, just trying to figure out um kind of who interested me mm -hmm. like who and i wanted a variety you know, I, I i'd said it in this college town from the beginning and so I, so it began on the college dorm floor so i knew there was going to be um some college students would be some of the main characters. Um, and so I guess the character of May came to me pretty early. Just, um, you know, the idea of someone who's like a little bit, I, I always have an interest in writing about people who, whether by nature or just the situation, are like slightly apart in whatever situation they found themselves in mm -hmm. and sort of naturally observers because of that. Um, and so May is sort of someone who hasn't quite fit in on this dorm floor and she's in that period of trying to figure out you know, how she's going to adjust to college and feeling kind of isolated when this um, sickness begins to spread. I don't know if this is a spoiler. It's very early on, but it hits her roommate like immediately. Yeah. So it's like she's already ostracized. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, and then like this sickness seems to like come from her room. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It almost becomes literal in that moment, her, mm -hmm. her isolation. Um, so yeah, her, I felt like she's sort of a natural, natural. And then it was just as I started to think like, well, if this, once the sickness spreads out beyond the dorm floor into the community, like who are the natural people um, who it would spread through? And mm -hmm. so, you know, so I ended up with a professor and, you know, in each one, uh, as I started their perspective, it, it wasn't always clear immediately sort of what their character and personality would be like, you know, some of that, the work of writing it was how I got to know them, but it was important to, to me to make sure that, you know, it was a, uh, even though it has this big premise that it's, that it's also really a character novel. So yeah, it was important to kind of nail down the, the people. Did you um? Did you find it easy to write about 
college like did you have a good college experience to like pull from i don't know that those sequences came seemed really real to me and especially oh, yeah. the, um and just like getting sick in a dorm yeah. and like everybody in the dorm gets sick yeah that sequence of the dorm room party yeah <laughs> that was um did you ever see that um disease out, uh, movie outbreak like the classic oh, one from the city. yeah it's where you follow the germs in the movie theater like which is also so mean to do to people in <laughs> the movie theater like this was the uh, like that was the outbreak scene for me it was like i was just following this germ as it's like traveling down like used shot glasses yeah and, you know, I mean, it's possible I might have attended one or two similar <laughs> parties. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I never thought about writing about college until I started this book. I was I was living in, in a college town in Iowa City when I started this book because my mm. husband went to the Iowa Writers Workshop like, re, you know, in the la- like five years ago or six years ago. Like, um, anyway, so we were there and I... It, I suddenly became interested again in the college experience. Like I was like, just in the, it's just so weird in so many ways. And especially, especially I feel like the, the freshman dorm floor, like it's just such a s- specific time in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. I, yeah, so anyway, I got, I was like, that was sort of on my mind, like watching these f- college students walk around and just, I, I found I was imagining their lives a little bit and remembering my own college time at the same time that I'd come up with this idea of writing about a sleeping sickness. So it was those two things together that I was mm-hmm. like something interesting. And also, yeah, a dorm floor is, it sort of is like a weird quarantine, even a regular dorm floor. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, the way that sickness just spreads through the dorm mm-hmm. and everyone knows everyone's business. And uh, anyway, I, it, it, it was kind of fun once I started writing about it, but I didn't, I, I'm surprised. It surprised, like it would have surprised me to know that I was going to write something about college. Were there other like viral outbreak stories or post-apocalyptic or anything stories that were you were reading while you were writing this? Was that helpful? Um, I mean, I did some research for sure. More well, well, one, one. Okay, the main one is "Blindness" by Jose Saramago, mm-hmm. which is a ma- that that's just sort of a major influence on all of my work. I mean, I do like I my writing. I think is probably pretty different in lots of ways from his, but something about that book, just the way. Um, He's able to treat this kind of outlandish premise in this in a such a convincing and intense way um, just has and and also making such serious use of a fantastical premise is just has been really um, influential to me from like before I wrote The Age of Miracles even too. So anyway, that that is always in my mind. And that's obviously a um, a contagion of blindness. So then mine's a contagion of sleep. So there's a for sure a sort of um, parallel there. But then other than that, I did research into nonfiction, you know, nonfiction books like um, I, I read The Hot Zone, which mm. <laughs> was, um, it was yeah, it's very creepy and also very salacious. I feel like as I like reading it, this time, like there was something it was useful. <laughs> it was useful, but it felt a little like, I don't know, like <laughs> like a thriller. But re- but then I'm like, well, wait, these are real people. Going yeah. through these things. But it, but it's it was I mean. It was it was useful for sure and and fascinating. Um, yes, yeah, so I read that. I read a book called Spillover, which is about um, it's about all these. It's it's about how a lot of the worst pandemics in hum, human history have um, they call it spilled over from animals, mm. uh-huh. like through some moment of um, mutation and mixing of like like a human eats meat that has blood human like animal blood in it that has mm. that anyway. Um, and then it and then it turns into something that can um, infect humans all of a sudden, um, and so that's what happened with HIV and 
um, I think Ebola also. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I did some some frightening reading like that. <laughs> are you are you hypochondriac at all? Like I feel like I would I I don't know I I have a hard time reading disease books. Uh, I read this particularly fast because I was like I don't want to be worried about going to sleep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I am a little a little bit of a hypochondriac, but as the writer, well, one I, that might be the reason why I probably would never write about like a more ordinary like a real disease like mm-hmm. I, like I, I i enjoy the remove i want you to feel while you're reading the book like it's real i want mm-hmm. it to feel convincing and real but but i think i enjoy a slight remove so that you don't feel like you're just reading like a horrible news story right <laughs> like instead you're a little in this fantastical world that mm-hmm. you know you know this sleeping sickness doesn't actually we don't actually need to worry about catching the sleeping sickness right. mm-hmm. um so yeah, I think I probably enjoy that remove a little, but I am kind of fascinated in general by mm. those kinds of stories. Definitely. I, this is going to veer into spoiler territory for anybody who hasn't finished the book. So if you haven't, jump ahead a little bit. I was thinking a lot about sort of the other recent pandemic novels that have come out, whether it's Station Eleven or Lara Vandenberg's Find Me or Joe Hill's The Fireman, where it's like, Lots of people dying. Uh-huh. I guess what caused you to to decide to let it sort of burn out instead of, you know, destroy the world? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, uh, I, guess, I guess two reasons. One is there's a certain feeling of realism, I think, to that. Like, mm-hmm. um... You know, like there's a there's like a nightmare scenario with Ebola that it like gets across the whole world, and right. that's what would be so scary. But usually, as scary and terrible as it is, like usually through a combination of our efforts and maybe luck. I mean, not ours, but you know, <laughs> like governments and medical professionals, like we're able to like contain it and mm. put it out the fire. You know, luckily, and that doesn't always. That's not always. It always ha- has not always happened, and is not always going to happen with every pandemic but it uh, i feel like it does there are a lot of stories like that where um and especially with the first time something appears Mm -hmm. it doesn't always take over the whole world so so it comes a little out of the science but it's also comes from my own desire to to want to keep a focus on the character like on the these people and these characters right and i i i think i like that kind of keyhole perspective because it helps um make sure that yeah, that I'm able to keep a focus on the kind of small moments of ordinary, I mean, their lives are not or ordinary people living through this moment. Um, and I feel like if I let it, if it spread through the whole world, there's just so much else I'd have to deal with that it starts to be hard to justify this close um, perspective on just mm. these sort of five to seven people. Right. Mm-hmm. There's something, I mean, both of your books, there's something really wonderful about massive things, whether it's a pandemic or the craziest end of the world that I think I've ever read, mm-hmm. but that, that it you're watching a couple of people and ordinary people living through yeah. just the most horribly imagined thing. Yeah. There was, um, so yeah, the last, your last book is, um, the days, what if days didn't stop getting longer? And, and this one's like, what if you don't stop sleeping? I was just curious if you have other like what if scenarios that you're playing out right now. I mean, the, those kinds of what ifs are, are really what, always what kind of drives my fiction, like mm-hmm. when I come up with ideas. So 
Um, so I guess I'm dipping into your future. Yeah, but it's not like I have a <laughs> Maybe deep... they some that didn't pan out. <laughs> yes. I think um, there's lots that I just think of. Yeah, that I think of all the time that then turn out and I don't, they don't really have it. There's not enough there to, or I can't figure out how to write them. Um, so yeah, once I started to try to write something where people were living underground, mm-hmm. but I was so interested in, I was really interested in them being, having like being trapped in this small space and they couldn't get out and they couldn't see the world. And I was interested in that. But then I started to be like, I actually don't want to write 200 pages. Like there was like not <laughs> enough to, to work with. Like, you know what I mean? Like I couldn't, there could never be like someone comes by from outside. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. So there was, it was like too claustrophobic for me as a writer. So mm. That was one, but that was like a, what if that then it, it didn't, it just, I just never really went very far with that one. <laughs> And that's also not, I'm not the first, clearly other people have figured out a similar premise to write (laughs) stories like that, but. Yeah. (laughs) There's a different sort of claustrophobia in the book that you brought um, in in, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go, um, which is the book that you brought to us today um where these kids are sort of it's a campus novel but they feel pretty stuck on this Mm -hmm. campus Mm -hmm. so i was just curious why you brought this book like what how is this in conversation with your work do you think um i mean i I just never let me go is one of my favorite books Mm -hmm. um and i think i i do i'm interested in how he um uses this big science like this big sci-fi premise in a way mm-hmm. um to actually tell a story about just like a small story of human experience mm-hmm. uh, but small and devastating mm-hmm. you know there's just something so the restraint is actually makes it all the more heartbreaking because of this situation that these uh people are facing like how limited their lives are and um we should say that there's a bit of a twist. And if you're super spoiler averse, like you probably don't want to listen to this conversation of the book because it's really hard to talk about this book without talking about the main premise, right? Which is clones. Yeah, it's clones. <laughs> it's cloning. Um, and this is... Um, but like nefarious cloning. It's not the sort of like the more... not I don't want to say... Cloning is always uh, feels a little nefarious, mm-hmm. but it's like organ harvesting cloning, basically. So these... Um, these kids that you're following and you're following one, you're following Kathy mm-hmm. um, and, and her school days. Um, but you realize that some it's, it's so, it's so secretly about clones. Like it's so like very lightly sci-fi. It's like the least sci-fi book um, on the spectrum. Like if there's one where it's just always a bunch of robots fighting yeah, <laughs> and then another where like it's, I don't know. This is very much on the other spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really much more of a campus novel, which is one of my absolute favorite things in the world. And um, I mean, I love the idea that f- of the coming of age and like fin- of loss of innocence. It's like my loss of innocence is that I'm a clone <laughs> um, and, and not like I have to turn into an adult. And <laughs> right. yes, right. And also in a way it's that they're never going to get to turn into adults. I mean, they're young adults at the end, but like, instead of realizing like I'm going to have to grow up, it's like, I'm actually never going to get to grow up. Mm -hmm. That's the, yeah. It's a weird inversion of that fear that hits everybody. And and like, I don't, I, when I was reading it, I was like, how, (coughs) how would I respond in this? Like, how would I feel if I was faced with that? Yeah. 
in this way where it, it everybody's just kind of like this is what happens to you yeah i mean like you basically in this world you turn 18 and they basically say like all right like do you want to die or do you want to help people die <laughs> and even if you do help people you're still gonna <laughs> yeah you're still gonna yeah you'll die later <laughs> yeah. um yeah but he does it all with such i like i said before restraint i just mm. Somehow it's so it's so I think part of what's so devastating about it, it's like everything is so normalized like the mm-hmm. yeah it's just the way that he writes it's so understatedly and in this ordinary way and even her voice is so ordinary mm-hmm. that it kind of lulls you in it's so, that, so conversational it's very yeah. much like it's very much like someone's telling you a story and they're also not quite sure that the of the order that they want to tell everything yes. especially at the beginning yeah she's like really sifting through memories mm-hmm. yeah um and you know there's this central friendship um between her and this other character ruth um that uh, feels like a laurie moore friendship like it felt like um uh, who will run the frog yes, hospital yeah, to me or I like julie bunton mm-hmm. you know like marlena sort of like i just felt like there was this that this like female friendship at the center of this where they're sort of um one-upping each other for this one boy uh-huh. the, uh tommy uh-huh I think that actually knowing the twist going in, this is one of the rare occasions that knowing the twist going into reading the book helps. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about being able to see all of these interactions and know like, Oh, Oh, this is like, yeah. The thing in that weird way that like our parents all tell us when we're kids and like our hearts get broken or something when we're teenagers, they're like, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm, I'm like, it pro- really I don't think it matters. <laughs> well, yeah, but in another way, maybe it matters more for yeah. them because yeah. this is their whole life. Like right. for us, it's like, you know, that thing that happened to you when you're 14, it's like you have your whole life to live. Mm. Like that turns out to be nothing. <laughs> but this is like, this is their whole life almost. Right. You know? um, it's also like, it's also interesting that it's not the future. Um, yeah. It's like, uh-huh. it's a, it seems like it's maybe the 90s uh-huh. or like, you know, uh-huh. like it's more like a parallel sort of like it's a, a parallel thing. Like we, history, if we yeah. had gone further down the cloning like thing right away um, rather than like trying to put a computer smaller in our pockets. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Lots of cassette tapes. Yeah. Maybe think of high fidelity for some reason. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I love something that I love on every um, about every campus novel. And it shows up here in a really beautiful way is like, the weird ecosystem that's around like the exchanges uh-huh. mm-hmm. so there there are there are this there's this art component to their education and they make these artistic things and then go around with money given to them by the school <laughs> to buy these things from each other and it's all been appraised and given like a, a monetary value yeah. by the guardians of this school which i can totally see this like w- weird system like like cu- popping up and it being like an incredibly important part of your life that you look back on as an adult and like what the hell was that like, yeah that was yeah. really weird uh-huh. yeah you know it's it's the equivalent of like doing like weird things for your teacher to get like like classroom bucks yes so you yeah, can yeah. Buy mm-hmm. things from the uh-huh. her small space maker of candy uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I, and then you know he made it sinister the questions of like of how we treat those who are other to us mm-hmm. and and it's one of those things that i think you can read the book without thinking about that but it's one of those things where in 2019 it's impossible to not read a book and find some way to map what's going on in america onto what you're reading 
and and I found myself thinking about like yeah these moments where like the creation of art is meant to try to show the rest of the world that like look these these kids have the same humanity that you do and the fact that it just like there's no everybody's like well yeah but we all get to live longer so mm-hmm. yeah we don't care uh-huh. and I that I found that's the thing that has has stayed with me the longest mm. after reading mm. the book. Interesting. Yeah, like it's always about class ultimately. Mm-hmm. Like that's really what the, there's there's a little bit of, but it really comes in at the very end. There's sort of um, <laughs> it's kind of like the conversations at the end of a Harry Potter novel when like Dumbledore explains everything that went on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like um, that there's like a scene like that in this as well, um, right. and it's so satisfying because you've been following the sort of teenage melodrama of what's been going on and knowing that there's this explanation further down the road, but like really like you're wrought through the other, the other part of it. And like the plot makes you, I don't know. It's so perfectly welded together. I I was, I was completely blown away by this book. It's one of these things that's been on my list forever. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Um, And finally reading it was just like, Oh right. This is why everybody loves this. It's like an incredible novel. Yeah. You know, one more thing about it that I think is, I mean, maybe this is like sort of a like writer's comment, but I I always am struck by there's like this interesting um, like submersion of ego in the writing style Mm -hmm. where he's so committed to making her seem like an ordinary person that he, that like in the opening page there's multiple like clichés in it mm-hmm. but they're they're con- they're like the kinds of things that an ordinary real person would say like like complete waste of space i think is one of them yeah. like mm-hmm. she says like i know some cares who are a complete wa- complete waste of space or something like that type of talk and i feel like usually in writing you wouldn't you would want to avoid those things but they just feel so uh make her seem convincing like it's, it's like he has committed to yeah the realism of this character over like pyrotechnics of language mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. even though i like i also love pyrotechnics of language i feel like it's so interesting to watch a writer do that where instead they he's just completely like submerging himself into her voice yeah, yeah. it's one of these books that is a, definitely a sci-fi premise but it's sneakily about like a million other things yeah instead. yeah that's how i felt the only other ishiguro i've read is the buried giant Oh, mm. I haven't read that one yet. And I I love that book. And it's this, it's it's a fantasy novel in like post-Arthurian England. Uh-huh. But it is n- by no means is it a fantasy like in the same way he submerges himself and there are no there are dragons and giants but there are no pyrotechnics around it and uh-huh. it just feels you're like, yeah, these are these are people who could exist now 2000 years later. Uh-huh. It's amazing. Uh-huh. It's he deserved that Nobel Prize. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> <laughs> Remains of the Day is also really. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Oh, I have to read that. What's yeah. that one about? It's about, um, it's, uh, it's, it, it, the narration has something in common. It's like a first, per- with Never Let Me Go, first person narrator who's um, an English butler. <laughs> and he's very, very restrained and stoic um, and committed, sort of maybe overly, I mean, definitely overly committed to his job. And he's just sort of talking about yeah, it's just him telling the story of his life as a butler, mm. uh, but it just becomes like extremely tragic in a kind of similarly like stoic way, mm. like this restrained stoic way where you realize he's like never going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's really beautiful. <laughs> um, shall we do some recommendations? Yeah, I mean, I run and recommend that book. If you haven't jumped <laughs> on it yet, like it's time now. 
<laughs> it is. It really is one of those books where I'm like, oh man, I really, I should have read this a long time ago. It came out 14 years ago. Wow, crazy. A, 2005. You know, I actually read it. Um, I did. I read it. I mean, a little late too. I I, I read it. I, I saw a preview for the movie, mm-hmm. and the movie, the pr- movie preview was so moving that I was like. I think I have to. I have to go see that movie. <laughs> and I told my friend, I was like, I know I I should read the book first, but like that just movie looks so great, and just so sad. And anyway, especially from the preview. And my friend was like, you cannot like in this case, you cannot go see that movie before you read the book. The book is amazing. Mm. So I read it, and then actually, then I've never seen the movie. <laughs> that's and a, that was like you that's know, a good friend know. though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Have you seen the movie? I have not. I haven't seen it either. It's apparently Nightly, I missed it. James McAvoy? Is it James McAvoy? I thought it was Andrew Garfield. I can't remember. Oh, it might be Andrew Garfield. We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about books we recommend. You start. Me? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to recommend two books. Um, first of all, um, it's, uh, it was a favorite of last year and I can see why, uh, Severance by Ling Ma. Um, it was, and like, I always think like, that's the last post-apocalyptic novel I'll ever read. (laughs) And then like another one comes along. It's like, okay, (laughs) I forgot about that last thing I said. (laughs) Um, and this one is, uh, is a good one. It's sort of zombie, sort of disease outbreak. Um, Mm. but, and, uh. I don't know. There's all sorts of things that I like. They end up, they all end up in a mall, which, and like choose a store to live in. (laughs) Great details. Fantastic. Um, New York details because she stays in New York as long as she possibly can. Cool. Um, as, as other people leave and it's just, it's awesome. Um, yeah. So I can see why everyone loved it and why everyone who thinks that they're done with post-apocalyptic fiction, they're not actually, there's another really good one. Um, (laughs) And then Open Me by Lisa Locascio. Um, that was a Grove Atlantic title that came out last year. And oh man, I was completely taken by surprise by this book. Um, I really loved The Idiot by um, Elif Badumin. Uh-huh. Like it was such a great novel. Um, we had her on the show to talk about it. It was so good. And this novel is really reminding me of that, but like The Idiot, if it had like a lot of sex scenes. So if that in, if that description like intrigues you, uh, and also like there's sort of like a crazy like emotional abuse undercurrent to this that is like really like uncomfortable feeling and scary and taut and really well done and yeah I highly recommend checking out both of those Severance and Open Me, Pink and Purple, cool <laughs> cool looking books, Karen yeah do you want to go um sure uh I will recommend um the Oxford Very Short Introduction Series. Oh, cool. Have you guys read any of those? There's like literally hundreds of them and they're all really short. Um, And I read a bunch of them for, um, as research for the dreamers. So I read like um, sleep, dream, like short introduction to sleep, short introduction to dreams, um, madness, pandemics, Freud, Carl Jung. um, Anyway, and you know, there's so many more like to psychology and love and, you know, African politics, just like every, anything you can imagine. They have, cool. a, um, yeah. And they're really, they're great. 
They're nice. Gr- it's great design too. Yes, that's part of it. It's very appealing in yeah. your hand. Yeah. Cool. Um, simple and 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 I and very serious. Like they're very very handy. <laughs> <laughs> you feel scholarly while you're <laughs> Yeah, but they're so short. You yeah. feel you are that they, they're a nice combination mm-hmm. of really serious but really brief. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. Uh, Drew, I will recommend a book and a podcast. Okay. Um, the book is is a one that I did not get to in 2018, but got rave reviews, and I just picked it up and absolutely loved it. Um, Milkman by Anna Burns that won the Booker Prize this mm-hmm. year. It's stream of consciousness is one of those things, similarly to you with post apocalyptic novels, where you're like, another one? Are you really going to be able? To-? <laughs> and this. It does it in a way that I found so compelling and it wasn't it wasn't the stream of consciousness like the James Joyce broken up lines where you sort of get lost in your own thoughts while you're reading. The voice was still so compelling and sure there were in jammed sentences and she'd jump off on tangents, but it's um and this eighteen year old girl, young woman in Belfast in like the it in the teeth of the troubles, basically. Um and a, a dissident decides basically that like i want you you're gonna be my mistress mm. and she wants nothing to do with it and she's sort of an outcast from the community and it's it is the best understanding i've ever gotten of what it was like to live in ireland during the troubles um and it's i i took a week and a half to read it which is a long time for me to read a book and i loved every minute of it mm. it was just it was so great um the other thing, a podcast, brand new podcast, my old boss and dear friend Jeremy McCarter uh, moved to Chicago and started a, call it a theater company, at least at first, called the Make Believe Association. And what they've ended up doing is recording new plays as radio dramas. Mm. Uh, and it, the podcast is called, I think it's just called Make Believe. Um, the first the first play came out this month in January and there are a couple of interviews sort of setting up the premise and explaining like, why are we doing this thing and why are we doing it in this way? But this first season is taking fables, asking playwrights or writers to adapt a fable into a radio drama. Mm. Cool. Uh, really great stuff. That's neat. That sounds great. Wow. That sounds very good. It's a good way to start the new year. Yeah. You know another w- good way to start the new year? Um, Patreon? No. Oh. Well, that's one. The I best always try to guess what you're going to start with. No, I'm always... Uh, I'm going to say the first thing that you can do is review us. You could be our first review of the new year oh. um, because we haven't had any reviews on iTunes in a while and they like fresh ones help a lot. So um, go write a review and give us five stars. It very much helps us out. Um, you're right, though. We, you can also go to our Patreon. That's another way to be helpful. Patreon.com slash SMDB. Um, you can get ad-free episodes of the show. You can, if you get a certain level, we'll send you things in the mail. It's a lot of fun. Uh huh. You can tweet at us. You can email us. Mm-hmm. It's all so many damn books at whatever the things are. And then you can also, and you absolutely should, go buy Karen Thompson Walker's new novel, The Dreamers, because it's awesome. And you will be able to sleep too. Yeah, you will. We did. We did not set that up earlier. You will have no problem sleeping <laughs> yeah. when you finish the book. Yeah, don't it's worry. True. <laughs> Um, but thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks thank for you. having me, and thanks for the cocktail. Oh, anytime. <laughs> <laughs>